So Ben is at uh, Priory Camp, I think it's Priory Camp at Camp Kedron, so uh, he asked whether I could step in to teach this morning. And we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, so uh, please turn to there if you've got your Bibles. Um, obviously, we'll put all the passages up on the, the screen behind me. And then when Ben returns look next week, we'll resume our study in Ecclesiastes. Uh, I think most of you know me. Uh, for those who don't, my name's Phil. I'm married to Ali and Josiah, my son, is sitting over there. Um, so thanks, worship team, for, for leading worship. And it's such a, yeah, just a reminder right, that worship and that thing is not just a filler before we get to the teaching, right? It's not that the, the teaching is the main thing, um, you know, where God is deserving of all honor and praise, and it's good for us to be reminded of that. And, and singing is, is one way we're reminded of that, of the character of God and, and getting our, our hearts ready and, and, as, and, and softened and, and in tune with where he's at before we open the word. Um, so let's, let's open in prayer um, and commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we th- just thank you for today. We thank you just for that... Um, just your presence um, is here. You say that where two or more are gathered in my name, then I'm there in the midst of them. And Lord, there's nothing more than, that we want than to be in your presence, than to be able to fellowship with you, to know you, to talk to you. And we thank you that that desire that we have towards you, that you show that towards us, that you pursued us, that you showed your love to us through sending your son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And we just praise you, God, for um, giving us your Holy Spirit, that as we open your word today, we pray that you would help us to um, understand what we read, but more than just have this penetrate our mind, we pray that it would just also penetrate our heart, God. And you would challenge us and convict us, exhort and encourage. And we thank you that you... um, just desire to work in each one person's heart here this morning. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when I was growing up um, in the 80s, the 1980s, some of you kids are going, that's ah, a long time ago. There was this show called MacGyver, and it was a TV show. And the main character was this guy called Angus Mac MacGyver, and he would find himself in various life-threatening situations. And the kind of climax on every episode was that MacGyver would for himself and the people he was with, find a way out, find a solution to get out of this life-threatening situation. And he would improvise and he'd, you know, he'd have a stick of bubble gum and paper clips and foil wrappers and what, whatever was lying around and whatever they had in, in their vicinity, he improvised to get them out of their situation. And so he had this combination of science and improvisation and you know and every kid you know we go wow you know when they got out wow that was so lucky they had that thing and you know immediately as a kid you wanted to go outside and test if it was real and you know and blow stuff up and and all that sort of thing but it was cool right but he's improvising and his, his life just seemed to go through this constant roller coaster of he just never had this consistent things were good it was always going from one bad situation to the next. And sometimes we can feel like that ourselves in our life, that we go from one bad situation to the next. We're on this roller coaster of trouble, and then we have to improvise and scramble to get back on track. And we're just looking for that light at the end of the tunnel, that relief, that sense of st- stability, that things will feel normal. 
But you know, when it comes to God, God doesn't need to improvise. Okay. God, there's never been a time where God has looked at a situation and he said, you know what? Wow, I didn't expect that to happen. Or, oh, that, yeah, that problem, that's a bit big for me. Let me think about that and I'll get back to you. You know, God has a plan. God has a plan because, and his finger's on the pulse. And the amazing thing is, the plan that he set out and the plan that he reveals to us in scripture, it doesn't change based on different circumstances, but what he wants to achieve, he will achieve that. And the wonderful thing is that God's plan involves us. And we are so important to his plan, not because we're important, but because he loves us and he created us. And in his plan, he has a desire for us to be used and to bring glory to him. And so we're going to look at that, a little bit of that plan today. Um, we'll see today that being part of God's plan, that we're, we're, ble- we're already blessed. You know, we're not waiting for blessing. God has already blessed us. And by, as we walk and, and pursue Jesus Christ, there's more blessing that comes. And let's just turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. All right, Paul, an apostle of Christ... Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself." that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Okay, there's a lot in that. Um, Today we're going to just focus on from verses 17 to 14. I think last time I spoke we looked at just verses 1 through to 6. Just a a brief recap. So the book of Ephesians, it's made up of six books. The first uh, chapters, sorry. The first four chapters are about doctrine. And then the last couple of chapters are a a practical application that Paul gives. And it's important for us to understand doctrine. Sometimes we can think doctrine is really dry and very stale. I don't want that. I want to get going. I want to do stuff. But when we understand about doctrine, we understand about What's doctrine? Doctrine is what we understand or believe about God, and it's also what we teach. When I understand about the character of God, it causes me to act a certain way. 
because there's things in the Bible that are not always, the Bible is not specific to every aspect of my life. But doctrine helps me understand key concepts and key attributes of God that then in any situation I can reflect on that and go, okay, if God is like that, then what should my behavior be or how should I make a decision in this, in this particular situation? Okay. But in these chapters where we have four chapters about doctrine, this first chapter is really, it's really an overview. It's kind, of like a, it's kind of like a movie trailer. You know, you watch a movie trailer and you get, you kind of see a bit of the story and you can see, oh, okay, this stuff's going to happen. And you can kind of get a bit of an idea about what's going to happen in a really kind of short snippet. But it's not until, you know, you see the movie, you see a bit more detail that you kind of really understand it. So, yeah, chapter one's really like a, a detailed, big picture view of what's going to come up in the next couple of chapters. This one, But last time we looked um, in those first couple of verses in Ephesians 1, it was about what God's done for us, what God the Father has done for us. And the focus was about that God, God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And there's three blessings that were mentioned there, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. And he made us accepted or highly favoured in the beloved. Okay. And so we'll continue on from verse 7 where we're going to see what's the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. So we've seen what God the Father's done, but what has God the Son done? Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So in him, in the beloved... Jesus Christ, we have redemption. And the word redemption, it means liberation, it means freedom. It means to be obtained, to be, to obtain freedom by the payment of something, you know, and most of us are, understand the concept of a ransom. We kind of, we see those movies where someone's taken hostage or here in the news and there's this negotiation that happens and the hostage taker goes, well, I'm not going to release this person until you can meet my demands. And at some point they come to an acceptable agreement that the negotiator can, can supply those demands, can meet that need to the satisfaction of the one that, that holds the person hostage. And, you know, we're, we're hostage, you know, our, because of our sin, we're under the condemnation of, of sin. We're, we're guilty and there's a price that has to be paid. There's a ransom that has to be paid that has to be acceptable for that to be, to be removed. And we see here in verse 7 that that redemption, that payment, that ransom, it comes through Jesus' blood. So that's not, obviously not Jesus' physical blood, but yeah, it's a shedding of Jesus' blood. And we're, we're going to do, celebrate and remember communion, uh, Jesus' death and resurrection today through communion. But that death symbolically reminds us that what, what, what happened spiritually, that there was a life that had to be paid, a life that had to, whose blood that needed to be shed, which reminds us of the, sacri the Jewish sacrificial system and the Passover system. And there was a blood, blood needed to be shed that came from someone who was unblemished, some, something that was perfect. And so in the Passover, we had the unblemished lamb. Um, but for us, you know, who, who was, who is unblemished? Who can, 
who is sufficient to make atonement or make correction for our sin. There's different, you know, I think about different movies where, you know, you have this kind of, you know, tr- these tri- you know in, in a movie in, in a tribe that has this kind of angry God that they have to appease the God. They have to, you know, there's this curse on their village or, or something and they have to appease their, their God and, and do something, but they're not sure what's going to make that God happy. And so they try different things. And, you know, I remember the, in the movie um, Madagascar um, part, I can't remember if it's part part two. You know the the New Yorkers have, have kind of dammed up the nothing about New Yorkers, but the the Americans were there and they dammed up the the river and no water was flowing and, and the land was going dry and the animals are dying and um, King Julian, the, the the head of the meerkats, you know they're trying all these things to appease this angry god and they're ch- chucking stuff into this fire, hoping to open up the floodgates that suddenly God would be happy and, and, and the water would flow. And, you know, we don't have, we don't have a, serve a God that is irrational or illogical. You know, we serve a God that's been really clear about his expectations upon us. And he's been really clear about what, what his standard is and, and what, appeases, what will appease him. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 Seeing then that we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that's the, the ransom that had to be made for us. That's the one that can pay for our sin, but also intercede for us, Jesus Christ, who was without sin, um, and more than that, he, he intercedes for us and he, he sympathizes with us in, in our weakness. Uh, but he's the only ransom that was acceptable. And, you know, you sometimes will hear people go, well, why, why can't Jesus just forgive? You know, why, why, why can't God just forgive and, and let it go and let me into heaven? Um, but he can't because God, God is just. God demands to be that penalty to be paid. Um, and what people really say when, when they're saying, can't, can't God just let me into heaven? They're really just saying, we don't want God to act justly. You know? We want God to show, show discretion and, and not be consistent. Um, but think about that if, you know, it, it, it's quite, quite an attractive idea that we've said, okay, we, let's put God's justice to the side and just let people in. But if God didn't show justice, think about hypothetically if God was unjust in this, in this world, then how would we have confidence and know that, that he would ultimately deal with good and evil? Um, so if, imagine if we went to a judge who was, who was corrupt and yeah, we would be horrified. We wouldn't accept that that would be just. And so justice works two ways. Justice, on one hand, if you're guilty, it kind of works against you. Um, but we're also thankful to God that we read in Romans 
23 through the 26, that he hasn't just judged us, but he's also provided a way to, to make us justified as well. Uh, so Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's us. Be being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there's no avoiding the need to be redeemed by Jesus Christ, even though people may argue and say, well, God is loving, why can't he do this? There is no ability for God to do that if he acts according to his character, which is a just God, because he, he has to judge sin. But there is only one way that that penalty can be paid for through Jesus, as we mentioned before. But as verse 26 said there in Romans 3, that he demonstrates at the present time his righteousness that he might be just. All right, so, so God can judge and the justifier. So God also provides the solution. So it's quite different, right, to, to MacGyver that's got to look around for, to improvise, to find things. But God understood the, pr the problem, the issue that we were facing, which is that we couldn't live up to his standards, but he also provided this, the one that, by which we could be justified. Okay. The forgiveness of, the forgiveness of sins. Um, and so whenever we read about sin in the Bible, uh, sometimes we read about sin and trespass, yeah, sin just means we've missed, we've missed the mark, okay? There's a standard, you know, think about a, a, you know, a high jumper who wants to qualify for the Olympics and there's a mark they have to hit. And they, if they don't miss that mark, they don't qualify, they don't meet that standard. Um, but, you know, it's different to trespassing where we've purposely, you know, we've purposely crossed the line. You know, you'll see properties that say do, do not trespass or trespassers will be prosecuted. And... But, we, you know, we've received forgiveness for our sins, our inability to, to miss the mark, our, our rebellion against God, that we have received forgiveness. We've been pardoned through Jesus Christ. And that's according to the riches of God's grace. So when we think about riches, you know, you know, we think of wealth, we think of abundance, we think of more than um, more than what we can possibly measure, and you know, we can see that in in um, money, we can see that in you know people's knowledge. We think, wow, that guy's so smart. He's 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 just rich in in knowledge. But the Bible talks about that God is rich. God's graces have riches. God's grace is rich. And so grace is where he grants favor to us. And think about how rich God's favor is. You know, I've, back when God was prompting my heart, you know, as a, before I was a believer, yeah, I would have said, God, no, not, I'm not ready yet. You know, and then he would have been prompting, and at some point I would have responded and said, yep, yeah, God, I'm going to follow you. And then even now, as a Christian, 
there's times where you know I do things where I don't definitely don't deserve God's favor and he reminds me how good he is and he 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 blesses me he blesses you and does he do that because we deserve it? Does he do that because I deserve it? No. It's just because his grace is so rich. And every single person, you know, with, when we talk about abundance, if you think about every single person that could, every sin that we could possibly do, or every person on earth and every possible sin that they could possibly do from now until they pass... God's grace is even greater than that. His ability to forgive is even even greater than that. You know, he doesn't say, well, I'm sorry, but my, my grace towards you is limited. I'm sorry, but you know what? You're, you're permitted X number of, you know, five sins today because by that time, man, my grace runs out. And, yeah, that's not an excuse for us to sin. It, it's not an excuse. So, well, I can get away with stuff. You know, Romans tells us that, you know, we are, we're not going to sin so that grace may abound. But it should change our perspective when we think about that grace to say, God, if your grace can be more than what I possibly could do to offend you, to sin against you, then how much more do I want to follow you? How much more do I want others to follow you and understand that, that you, you are rich in, in grace? So his, his grace never runs out. It's not restricted by anything that we can do. And you know, we, are so, we are so blessed to, to be able to be recipients of God's favor, to be re- recipients of his grace. And that's really consistent with his, his desire for mankind. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses, verse 3 and 4, it says... For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so he doesn't just desire that that would happen, but God provides the grace for that to happen. He, he shows favour to, to mankind, and it says there that for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. And that's just so true. Verse, verse 8. To which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So God's grace abounds to us. So his, his grace is not just rich. His grace is not just overly generous. Okay? He's overly generous to us. But it also abounds to us in all wisdom and prudence. And so he's generous, but you know, imagine a cup and filling a cup that just constantly is filled, 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 that can't contain the contents that which you put into it. And, and that's what it, that idea of what abounding to us is like, that he just doesn't, as much as he's generous, he just, there's no limit to, to how he wants to, to, to bless us and show us favour. To help us understand why, but why do we care, right? Why, why do we care that God that God's blessing is abundance. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 to 8. It says, 
2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 to 8. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not begrudgingly or of, a, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So when God blesses us and shows us favor, it's not, it's, it's not that we, yes, we receive it and we rejoice in it, but he, he shows us grace and favor because he wants to make us sufficient so we can do every good work. And so that maybe he blesses us to remind us of how good he is so we can then go and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, God's awesome, right? This is... Or he may bless us so we have that abundance so we can go and serve. You know, there may be... He doesn't want us in his work to be insufficient. He makes us sufficient. He provides for us there. And so although that passage was about being a cheerful giver and, 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 and money... You know, that idea of abundance and how we should respond, it should be for any aspect of our life, whether it be our money or our time or our thoughts, what we think about, that we want to give that, we want to give that back to God. Why? Because he's, he's, given, he's being gracious and he's given us abundance. And so he gives, us to, he gives that grace to us, it abounds to us in all wisdom and prudence. And so God's wisdom, it's his knowledge of the divine plan. It's him knowing what's needed to accomplish what he wants to achieve. Um, and he knows that, you know, our salvation, you know, it's not just being saved, but the the ongoing work that he wants to do in our lives to, to mold us, to make us holy more into the image of Jesus Christ, that he abounds in grace towards us because as, as he, he desires to mold us. And he does it with prudence. So it's not like God's careless with what he does. It's not that when we think about his abundance, you know, sometimes we can be frivolous and we can do things and we, we kind of have that regret, oh, you why did I lend that to that, give that to that person? Because I'll probably never get it back. You know, if you've ever lent a tool to someone, you go, yeah, yeah, take it. And you never see that stuff. Or lent a book to someone, you never see it back, even though at the time you, you wanted to be generous. And we can look at God and go, God, why are you so gracious to us? Why are you, you, you give us in abundance? You know, that's just, people can think, oh, that's so silly. But he knows what he's doing, all right? He knows when he blesses us and, and gives because he knows that that's part of that work that he's doing to mold us, to make us think and be, think about him. And also, as we're molding in the image of Christ, we go out to the world and other people can see our, our, the character and what they see in us should be reflective of, of Jesus' character. Okay. They should be able to see his love through us. Okay, Ephesians uh, verse 9 having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And so the, this, the word mystery here, you know, it's not a problem that is, it's not a problem that's overly complex that it can't be solved. You know, the idea here of mystery is there's something that was not quite understood and in the course of time, 
someone reveals the, the true understanding of that. So it's not like an Agatha Christie problem where you're trying to look at the key clues, go, okay, what's going on, and then, you know, and, and you can't solve it. But this mystery is, it was intended to be solved and was intended to be revealed. And um, we won't look at those verses, but in, in Ephesians chapter 3, from verses 3 to 6, remember this is kind of the overview, this is the big picture. It talks more about the mystery, the mystery of Christ. And we see that that mystery that's been revealed, it's that Gentiles can be fellow heirs. That's not just Jews that can be saved, but Gentiles as well. And more than being saved, that we can be part of one body and we can also be partakers of the promise um, of Christ through the, through the gospel. You know, as somebody who was brought up in the church and as a Gentile, it's something I take for I take for granted. Like, oh yeah, of course, of course, I've got access to God. But think about if the Judaic system was still around and that system of sacrifices and and rituals and ordinances that I would have to go through to get access to God. Would I? as a Gentile ever have had that opportunity to actually know who God is and have a relationship with him and to walk with him and, and, and know that he loves me. And possibly not in the way that we, we have now. And so this mystery that's been revealed, you know, they're going, looking through the Old Testament, it's like, wow, okay, the, the Jews have a Messiah, but what's gonna happen with these Gentiles? How are they gonna know God? How are they gonna have a relationship with God? And that's that mystery that is now being revealed that, hey, Jesus is going to do it. Jesus does it and removes that wall of separation between Jew and Gentile and makes them one body um, in, in him. Yeah. According to... And he, he made known the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And so... It was pleasing for him to do this, right? There wasn't something he reluctantly did or he wasn't forced into a corner. You know, this was part of his plan to say, you know what, I know there's Jews and Gentiles and I love, I love both and I love those Gentiles and I want to show kindly intent to them. I want to show my kindness to them and how do I do that? That he purposed it in himself. He said, you know, I... This is the plan I want to do. And he made a conscientious decision to do that. And I don't know about you, when I'm at work and you know, we have this thing, this thing called a reward and recognition system, right? And if you do something good at work, the idea is that you recognize someone. And some of you guys in your, work, your places of work, you get the opportunity to recognize a person and say, you know, I recognize John for showing care in this situation, or I want to thank Mary because she showed commitment. And that, that acknowledgement, that explicit statement, for the person, for the recipient, it means a lot to them, you know, and you get this response coming back and go, hey, thanks for that, really didn't know you appreciated it and, and that you really showed interest. And it says he got purposed in himself. He showed a conscientious decision and acknowledgement that's how much he cares for us that it, it wasn't just oh it just so happened that as he as 
you know, God's dealing with the Jews and then somehow this Gentile slipped in. But no, there was a like, I love these guys. I love these guys and I want them to be inheriting what I've desired for, uh, you know, for, the, for them to be part of my family. Verse 10, Ephesians verse 10, 110, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And so this really gives us this idea of there's a, there's a direction that God is heading to with his plan. So dispensation of the fullness of the times. You know, as time progresses and, and, and the world, things mature, there'll come a time when there's something that God's going to do. And then what he says here, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. So there's this idea there of a, of a mathematical problem. So, it's, so it says, we might gather together, in one, to gather together in one all things. The idea there is that there's a mathematical problem, but there's a summary. There's a single sum that needs to be determined for that thing. So, so if you imagine the world like this math like this massive mathematical problem and there's all this stuff going on. It's like, well, what's the answer? And very easily, this is the sum. This is the answer. This is the one thing this all points to. And what is that? It's Christ. And yes, the world is still playing out. Events are still playing out. And there's often going to be many things that we don't understand that we see in the world. We go, oh, why did that happen? Why did that disaster happen? Or why did that happen in that person's life? And... We don't know exactly, right? God's ways, and he's re- he doesn't give us reasons for everything. And you guys might be experiencing things in your own life of saying, I don't understand, God, why this is happening to me. Why? Okay. But I want to encourage you that he goes, he might gather where it says he gathers together in one thing or things in Christ. Ultimately, everything heads towards Jesus Christ. In, in Colossians Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says, if I bought By him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So everything ultimately, the answer to everything ultimately will be summarized in it's all for Jesus. It's about bringing everything together and reconciling everything under Jesus Christ. And that should give us hope, right? That should give us an encouragement that when we're going through things and we go, look, I don't understand it, but God understands it, right? Because God's got this plan that sits across that. And everything that happens, remember this big mathematical problem and it all comes down to the, what's the answer, it's, it's Jesus, that th- everything that happens, that God allows to happen in our life and that we observe is to help us, draw us make, to Christ. And ultimately, that's what we're going to see at the end, that things will be gathered to, to him. And so the things that are going to be gathered together in Christ are things which are in heaven and which are on earth. And there's sort of there's this idea of there's different interpretations of what that specifically means. But there's this idea of that, you know, you've got the heavens worshipping God. And you've got the church worshipping God. 
and ultimately there will be a point where we'll, worshiping, we'll all just be there, just worshipping Christ together as this, this one, one body. And we can do, and we can do that and because we're in, in him. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so in, so we're going to receive an inheritance. And in the earlier verses in, that we, we studied um, in verse 5, we read that we've been predestined. We've been predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, and so we've had an inheritance. Um, but we're also God's inheritance. Um, God talks about us in um, in verses one through the six about us being His inheritance. Um, but what did? We only receive inheritance because why? Because we're in God's family, and not because we were, we earned it. Not because we declared ourselves, yeah, I'm in God's family, but because He adopted us <clears throat> to be His family, to be in His family. And again, you know, that was according to His purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Okay, so. What's that inheritance that we have? We've got, that inheritance is, is the ability to be, when you were, in, when you were adopted, adopted into someone's family in the Roman times and you became a son, you effectively became part of working in your, your master's business. You, know, you inherited the opportunity to work with the master and partake. And, and that's the inheritance that we've received. We receive the blessing of being able to work with, with our master, with our Lord, in, in what he wants to achieve. Yeah. You know, there's people at work who definitely I don't like working with. There are people who I go, no, that would be difficult to work for. You know, and some of you might have difficult bosses. And they're just, oh. Um, but that's not what it's like working with God. That's not what it's like having God as our, as our master. You know, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And it's a joy. It's a joy to be, to, to be in this inheritance, to have that opportunity to work with him. Think about those times where God's used you and blessed, used you to bless someone else. And you, know, you might have said something encouraging to someone, prayed with someone, sent them a note and said, hey, thinking of you, here's a great verse. But whatever it might be, think about something where God's done something and how, how awesome was that? How did, you, how, how did you feel? You felt, you know, this is the greatest thing. I could, I, if, if life was like this, I could do this every day. And working with the Lord and on the things that, as him as our master, it should be like that every day. We should have that joy of saying, I want to I wanna come into your business, God, and work with you as a son of yours because it's a joy. And you know what? Sometimes, it's, sometimes things are difficult. Sometimes serving the Lord, it's not a joy. And we struggle and say, oh, God. Um, but that reminds us that he then has given us abundance to do his work. And so when those things are tough and say, like, God, I, I, I'm struggling to serve you, 
that know that he, he has given you, he will, he will show you grace and he will give you abundance and say, okay, I understand. Because we read that verse in Hebrews that he sympathizes with us in our weakness. He goes, yeah, I get it. It's, things are hard. But that shouldn't stop us having that joy and coming to him and saying, I want to work for you, Lord. I want to, as, as a son who's inherited that, the business with you. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And so the gospel came to the Jewish believers first and then came, came to Gentiles. And you know, just what an awesome blessing that is, that we have that, that, that privilege. You know. Verse 13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. He's, he, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Um, I don't know if you, anyone's ever built a house or had something where there had to be a, a standard, a mark attached to it. And, you know, when I was working in the construction game and you would get a house certified and they would come in and the certifier would check that everything was built according to the requirement. It was built according to spec. And they were, if they were happy, they said, yeah, we're going to certify this thing. It's good enough to be lived in. It, it meets our standard. And... This seal is, is, is similar in a way that that seal, that Holy Spirit upon us goes, yeah, these people, these people who put their trust in Jesus Christ are worthy to receive the Holy Spirit. Not because of anything specifically about them, because remember, we're in him, in Jesus. But we receive that Holy Spirit as a mark to say, yeah, you, you, belong, you belong to me and that you meet that standard, not of our own accord, but because of what Jesus has, has done for us. And that's something to be proud about, not proud as in like proud about ourselves, but say, wow, God's put his Holy Spirit in me because he wanted to put the Holy Spirit in me to, to seal me, to say, you know, he belong, this person belongs to me. But more than that, it shows that he, he, he finds us acceptable. All right? He finds and says, you know, this is up to my standard. Therefore, I can put my mark on him and say, this is mine. Okay. And Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And... You know, if we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, we should be also be seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit come out in our lives. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And... What a blessing to have the Holy Spirit. 
You know, the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit was given to us because Jesus said, you know, I've got to go so that the, the helper will come. You know, if Jesus stayed, there's just one of him in one mortal body, but he goes, the Holy Spirit comes and can fill each one of us and come upon each one of us. And so wherever we're, we are, God can accomplish his will through our life, accomplish the work that he wants to do. And sometimes we think we're not worthy, right? Sometimes we, get, we, have, a, we have those weeks that are just really difficult weeks, and we just go, you know, God, I'm just not. And God reminds us, go, you know what? I've put my Holy Spirit. I've sealed you with my Holy Spirit. I'm not done with you yet. You know, there's still things I want to use you for because you've obtained an inheritance. And as you do that and as you, you know, come back and, and walk in me, I'm gonna, I want to bless you. And I think that should be an encouragement to us that when, when, we're, when we're feeling down or we're feeling like, you know, God, I'm just not, I'm just really struggling. Remember, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's put his mark on us because he's proud to say, hey, this person belongs to me. All right. So the guarantee, it's, a, it's yeah, the word here, it's down, it's like a down, down payment. And, and until we get to glory, until we, we get to heaven, um, and then we, we will be in his presence and we won't have these mortal bodies that are, that are corrupted. Okay. So the question for us today is, you know, when we, God has done all of this for us. He is, he's shown us his riches of his grace. He's abounded and it's abounded to us in his wisdom and prudence. Um, do we live like that? Do we live like there's a God that has abundantly shown us grace? You know, do when we talk to people, do we go, you know, and go out to this world, you know, are we saying, yeah, there's a God there that's actually, that has abundance. You know, he's not a God that is difficult to know or difficult to serve. He's a God that he purposed for us to, to know him. Um, you know, are we knowing that we're owned and still the Holy Spirit, are we allowing him to have his work in us and saying, well, if I'm sealed and if you want to do that work in me, are we allowing him to, are we allowing him to do that? Um, or you know, do, we, do, we, do we view God sometimes as an angry God? Saying, yeah, you know, try to, maybe I don't want to talk to God today because I'm just not, you know, maybe there's a sin we're, we're struggling with or there's something in our life that's, you know, really holding us back. But God doesn't want us to, God doesn't want us to be like that with him, right? That's not how he, he, he views us. And that's why the understanding in the verse, verses of verses three to six in, in chapter one is so important that we're in him because he views us differently, okay? Okay. So we're gonna go just into a time of, of communion now. And let's just turn to, if you've got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11.
All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. something very precious about when we, we come and remember the Lord's death and resurrection. You know, and I have to confess, you know, when I was a young, kind of a young Christian, and probably as a kid, you know, I would go, oh, great, it's just a break, it's a chance to break up the service and, you know, have something to eat and, and, and drink and not really taking, thinking about what it, it, it really meant. You know, and, and, and as, you know, I've got older and, God's just, you know, got a hold and said, no, right, it's more, more than that. Yeah. The significance of this, you know, you're reminded that our whole identity as Christians is based on these things that happened, that if we didn't have Jesus' blood shed for us, like we spoke about this morning, we would not have had the redemption. We would not have been ransomed and brought back to then be able to inherit all those blessings that he wants to give to us that allows us to, to then go and walk and serve him. And his body being broken <laughs> reminds us that, you know, it could have been my, it was my body, it was me that deserved, it was us, right, that deserved to be punished. So his body was broken, he took that punishment for us. So when he took our sins upon his shoulders, sin, sin has no ability to be present in, in, in God's presence, that there was a separation that happened. And he, he, although he was innocent, took our sin upon himself and suffered that punishment. But he did it for us. And then as his blood was spilt, reminding us of, of the, the Jewish sacrificial system, that that blood covers that, the person upon who, it gets, upon who it's sprinkled, or in terms of the Passover, the, the blood being sprinkled on, on the door lintel and posts. But we're new creations now because of that blood. He doesn't look at us and say, well, you know, you're just a better version of what you were last week or last, you know, when before you were saved. Because look upon I look upon you as new. I look upon you as something that's that's glorious, that's that's beautiful because you're new. So I'll get the worship team to come up, and as they do, um, just come up, grab a, a cup and, a, and the bread, and then sit down and we'll then partake um, of these together, okay?